turn to uh, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples are walking. They've been with Jesus about two, two and a half years. And so they've seen a lot. They've they've observed a lot. In fact, they've made some pretty profound professions before the event that we're going to look at. In fact, Jesus had come to them walking on the water. They had been terrified. He had gotten into the boat. And in Matthew 14, right, they they had professed, truly, you are the Son of God. They had even professed His deity prior to the event that we're going to look at. So two, two and a half years with Jesus, listening to Him, spending every day with Him, right? A lot different maybe than, than our concept of discipleship, right? In this culture, if you were a disciple of someone, you pretty much followed them. And, and it wasn't just to be a student or a learner. It was to adopt their teaching. And then by life and conduct, I was going to be like you. Right. This idea of discipleship, even in the church, has has sort of tended to be sort of more academic, more programmatic these days versus personal. And so in this culture, right, if I was a disciple of someone, my life was really committed to becoming like this person much more than academia, much more than memorizing verses or doctrine. I wanted to be. Like my teacher, you know, in, in, in a practical sense, it would be like, hey, I have this issue. What do you think? And what would you do? OK, I'm going to do that. Right. If I'm a disciple, if I'm following someone and something comes up, hey, hey what are your thoughts on this? How would you handle this situation? Oh, oh OK, I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do, because I want to be like you. So this, this idea of discipleship, of following someone, was really personal. It was all-encompassing. It wasn't a compartmentalized part of you know, my life where, okay, now I have to go to discipleship. I just am a disciple. I just am, right? And so they've been his disciples, right? In, in Matthew 14, they, truly you are the Son of God, right? And, and now they come to Mark 8, starting in verse 27. Look what it says there. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Right, so they're walking. Jesus kind of throws out this general question. Hey, what are people saying? What are people saying? Right, they give the opinions in verse 28. And then he makes it personal. Who do you say I am? Right? Right? Perhaps the most important question 
any human on this planet can answer, can ponder, can think about, and then come to a conviction. Because we believe, according to Scripture, your answer to that question, who do you say I am, has eternal implications. And the answer to that question has daily life implications. Who do you say Jesus is right now? Who is Jesus? What is your belief? What is your conviction about Jesus? Not what you've heard necessarily. Not what your parents taught you. What do you believe about Jesus? You. Because see, this is the question because the Bible says, the Bible says every person is going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. Right? And so this, this question, who do you say I am? We all have to settle this. Right? With, with, with implications for, well, do you know what you mean when you say that? Right? Because there's some verses in the Bible that, that really challenge us. Look at, look at what, look in Matthew 7. You have to turn there. It says, Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, right? And then in Luke 6, 46, he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So, so we have to understand even the profound implications. Belief in Scripture is more than just verbalizing something. Jesus is connecting what you say to your life. He calls it fruit. He calls it fruit. And, and these two passages, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Well, I believe Jesus is Lord. Well, he calls them out right out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Something's not, something's not adding up in a belief structure here. I know what you're saying, but your actions are betraying what you really believe. Right? And so when we're talking about belief, what we say in a, in a relationship to Jesus is more than just reciting doctrines and then going to live like however we want. Jesus, between, in those two verses, kind of dispels that whole division. Right? What we say should sync, be in sync with our life. It's, it's our belief structure. It's our belief structure. Right? And so he asks his disciples, who have been with him for two, two and a half years, who do you say I am? Right? Who do you say I am? And then, right, Peter... Very familiar answer. You are the Christ. You are the Christ, right? Matthew 16, 16, the same, same uh, situation. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In Luke 9, 20, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God, right? And in fact, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, you know, woohoo, Peter. Praise the Lord. God showed you that, right? So Peter makes this profound Profound 
theological statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right. And just a quick review. I had an opportunity to uh, work with the, uh, the junior high and high schoolers. Right. And we're on this series about Jesus. And so uh, I, I asked them, what does Jesus mean? Same response right here. <laughs> what does Jesus mean? Okay, what's, what, what's the English equivalent, Old Testament equivalent of Jesus is? Yeshua and Joshua. Okay, so what does Yeshua, Joshua mean? Okay, think back to the angel coming to Mary. You shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that? <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, if you're real honest with each other, turn to the same person and say, me neither. Come on, come on. You just busted yourself. See, some of you right now, you've been in church for 40 years, like, really? I didn't know that. So Christ is his last name. Right? Bill Burr, Scott Rowland, Jesus Christ. Is Christ his last name? What is Christ? Messiah. Christ is a title. So if you can actually refer to him Accurate, you would say Jesus the Christ. Right? So Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord saves, the Lord is salvation, the Christ, Messiah anointed one. He is sent to the planet with a specific mission. He is Messiah. Right? Just those two words, if you believe that, have eternal implications. And just those two words, if you believe it, meaning heart and mind are connected, have daily implications. Because we are called to follow Yeshua, Joshua, the Christ, Messiah. That's our calling. That's our calling. Jesus, do you really believe he is salvation? Do you really believe he was sent to save People from sin. That's what the Bible says. That's that's why he was named that. Do you really believe he is the Christ? Now, understand this. I know I'm maybe preaching to the choir here. But you got to understand the answer to who Jesus is. That splits the world religions. Do you understand the world religions really fundamentally come down to this question? We differ from the Jewish and we, the religion and we differ from Islam all the way down to who is Jesus. Right? Some are waiting for the Messiah. Some believe Jesus was a prophet. Not the prophet, but a prophet. The answer to this question helps you understand what's going on in the world to a large degree. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And what do we really know what we mean when we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, the Christ? Whew. 
That's heavy duty. I shared with you before, I went, when I was just one or two year old in the Lord, I went into a, a mission trip in the southern island in the Philippines that was heavy anti-Christian, Muslim. They told us, you know, we're going to go out to the jungles and, and the gorillas are out there who don't like the United States and really don't like Christians. And I shared with you, you know, I've shared with you before. One day they decided, okay, we're going to divide you up into teams of two and you're just going to go into various places in the region. Well, lo and behold, they tagged me and my buddy Sean, and we're going out to the jungle. I've never been so scared in my life because we had been trained and taught in the, the weeks leading up to this mission trip. Yep, hostile environment. Yep, may not be pretty. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go, but I get to stay in the base. I'm going to stay in the base camp, and I'm just going to, you know, maybe go out a little bit. No. Me and Sean, jump on the Jeep. You're going that way. And I'm like, where? Over there. And they pointed to mountains. I'm like, oh. But I didn't say that because you can't do that in, right? Oh, really? That's what you got to do, right? You can't go, oh, I'm going to die today, right? You don't say that. You just go, okay, okay. And it was like a two-hour Jeep ride. And I don't know what my buddy was thinking, but I'm on this Jeep. And I had been married a month before I went on this month-long mission trip. And I'm on this Jeep, going on this dirt road to pending doom, all right? And I'd only been a believer a couple of years. And it had all been, ah, this is good, this is cool, right? Going to a good church, and it just is all happy. Happy American Christianity, right? Ah, and I'm out in Booneyville, heading on a Jeep to hostile territory. And that Jeep ride, if you want to have a come to Jesus moment, that was my come to Jesus moment. And that has ingrained in me. Because you know what? Did I really believe this? I was confronted. In a very real sense that, that shook me to my core emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. I was like, do I really believe this? Do I really believe this stuff? Because it's out of my hands right now. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in those situations where you're, ooh, and, and, and there was no turning back. There was no way out of this. And so I'm going there, and, and I, I remember, I can still vividly see it. I'm on the Jeep. And I'm just staring, just staring. I think about my wife. I'm like, wow, really? And, and, and I was just, like, it was like an hour ride of just this heavy, do I really believe this stuff? It just got real, real quick. It wasn't just a safe mission trip where we were going to go help the people who needed help. I was going into land that we had been taught over and over was hostile to me at this moment. Do I really believe this? And then we get to this village. And the local pastor's like, okay, now we're going to go hut to hut, you know, that little village. And we're just going to visit with people. I'm like, rock on. I'm going to watch. <laughs> I'm not going in there. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm, even, if, even in the village, I don't know how I can move. I was like so 
scared. Just. And I'm like kind of, you know, following. You want, you know, you're a dude and you don't want to like let on that you're like trembling in your shoes, right? So like, how you doing? Hey, hey, good, man. How you doing, you know? And and so we do these visitations and we we go through the trip and we, you know, we do what we were supposed to do and then we get back on the Jeep. I could not wait. I'm just, I could not wait for them to turn that thing on and let's head out of here. And, and, and that, that experience really seared in me this question. Do I really believe this? Who do you say I am? Is what he was asking. Us. Us. Right? And, and the implications are, are, are really, really profound. And then look what it says here. He says, Peter answered, you are the Christ. And then, look at verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. What? Why didn't Jesus say, hey, you're right. Now go tell everyone. Right? Great, profound theological truth. The Messiah has arrived. We've seen him. He's God. Jesus, let's just set us free. We're lit right now. Well, let's just go tell everyone. And then verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. You ever wonder, you ever come across that verse? Maybe one of those verses you just sort of gloss over and go, okay, kind of weird. Let's keep going. Right? You ever get those verses you don't really understand in Scripture? You're like, hmm, I'm going to ask Bill about that. And I'm going to keep going, right? Because... That's a profound verse for all of us. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Why? Look what it says. Let's look. Next passage. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The answer to why in verse 30 is revealed in verse 31 through 33. Why did Jesus warn them not to tell anyone about him? Here's the answer, as revealed in verse 31 to 33. They didn't really understand what they were saying. Their view of Christ was wrong. And so Jesus says, hey, hey, you got the title right, but the meaning's wrong. And before I set you free to go falsely teach, we got to have a conversation. Jesus says, don't go and tell everyone who I am just yet, because you don't understand what you just said, Peter and the boys. And if I set you free right now, you're going to perpetuate false teachings about me, which are going to impact many people. Question, 
Is there an area in your life and in my life where you think you know what it means? And the Lord's like, you got the, you got the title right, but you're, you're way off on the meaning here. He, got, he had the humbleness. See, Peter got, oh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's kind of, ah, I know what that means, right? I know what that means. In fact, we all know what that means, right, boys? Yeah! It's all in the Old Testament, right? You're a political Messiah. You're a military Messiah. You're going to destroy all of Israel's enemies, and now Israel is going to prosper under you. Right, boys? Yeah! That's Messiah! They would have said it with conviction and gusto because that's what they were trained and that's what they knew. Messiah was political, military, going to set the Jews free from Rome and you're it! One of the most challenging things for you and I as believers is to get ahead of God and to think we got it all wired. To think we know, and we got this, and he has to say, "Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Time out, time out here. You got to have some, some, some teaching, some correction. Maybe in my life, maybe in your life, you're in a timeout." Because you think you know something, but God really knows you don't. You don't really have it. It's not really in line with His will. You may have picked it up somewhere. It may be working for you. You may be rationalizing it and excusing it. You might even put a fancy doctrinal name on it. But there might be an error in your life and you might be struggling and you might be on quote-unquote time out because you're wrong. Because you're thinking about this issue in your life through your lens and not God's. And He has to call you out on it. He has to call you out. And that's what He does with Peter, right? Verse 31, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that now he must be killed. And after three days rise again, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What did he do? He flipped. He flipped their whole understanding of Messiah on its head. Political, military, economic ruler, woo-hoo, suffered, died, killed. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. You ever have one of those moments in your life when you think you got it wired and God flips it on you? Anyone? And you have a, whoa, 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 God. What are you doing? What are you doing? Anyone? Right? You ever have one of those moments where you think you got it wired and you're making plans and you prayed about it and all this and everything seemed to line up in your understanding and God goes, boop! And you're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? That, that's kind of what Peter, right? Peter has this reaction. I love Peter because Peter's us. He, re- he just reacts in honesty, right? And it says there, Peter took him aside. This is Peter. This is, 
this, this is Jesus. That kind of looks like Jesus in some pictures, right? right? And look at verses. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know, admonish. He got in his face. What are you talking about? Really? Really? Peter is doing that to Jesus. Who Peter had just said was truly you are the son of God. Who he had just said, you are the Christ. And now, two seconds later, because he said something that didn't jive with Peter's plan. You crazy? You're supposed to be the military, economic, political Messiah. Enough of this kill stuff. Not going to go over really well, right? He reacts and he gets in Jesus' face. Rebuke is a strong word. He begins to rebuke Jesus, who two seconds before he had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? Thank you. And before we get too hard on Peter, how many of us will come to church, read scripture, amen a whole lot of stuff, and then we go out into the world and we're confronted with something that we don't like? Really? Really? the same thing. It's the same thing. He had affirmed a profound theological doctrine, and when it turned out not to jive with him, he got angry and he rebuked God. Guilty. Right? And look what, look what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. You know what that word Satan means? Adversary. Adversary. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. I don't know about you, but most of the time when I get adversarial with the Lord, it's because he's not doing it my way. The way I think best. Amen? Lord, if you just kind of get with me, things would go cool. Amen? Right? So he says, hey, get behind me. You're now an adversary. Can you imagine? Right? Because it says, look, it says, Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. So, I love this, right? You're Peter. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine all the other disciples? Jesus calls Peter Satan. (laughs) Some they're like, I'm glad I didn't say that. They're all stepping away from Peter like, you go, Pete. When just a while, just a few seconds earlier, yeah! Peter, because he was thinking of it through human eyes and human perspective, was now an adversary. Was now God's adversary. Are there areas in your life and in my life where you're God's adversary? Because you're trying to process it in your own understanding. You have, you have, as Jesus says, you have in mind the thing, not the things of God, but the things of men. What does Colossians say? Set your minds on things above, not on the earth. Right? What does Isaiah say? Your ways are not my ways. Oftentimes, our step of faith is when we don't really understand. And we have to trust God. Right? And the temptation is what? 
to go back to what we know, to go back to our strength, to go back to what's worked in the past. And inadvertently, if we're leaning on ourselves, we can become his adversary. His adversary in this area. In this area. And look what he says. You do not have enough time. First it says, he rebukes you. He says, get behind me. He had gotten in front. And he had to just, time out, Pete. A, you're thinking about this all the wrong way. You're now my adversary. B, you're my disciple. Get behind me. Disciples. So how much of the turmoil and the issue in our life, A, has to do with us thinking about it in, in the human perspective, and B, deciding that, eh, Jesus, let's just switch. You follow me for a change. Anyone ever try to lead and it just didn't work out the way you thought it would? And after a while, you're like, uncle, I give. Right, Jesus, take the wheel. Boop. You can have it back. Right? Get behind me, adversary. Just be where you're supposed to be. Follow. Just follow. Trust. Right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are Messiah, Yeshua, Joshua. You are good. Everything we've been talking about. If you're struggling this morning with an area in your relationship with Jesus, Ask yourself two questions. Have you become his adversary? Have you become his adversary in this area? Meaning you're thinking about it through human lens. Your own understanding, right? Those Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own in all your ways, right? Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Is it there in your life? where you've become adversarial with Jesus. Not that you're necessarily railing, but you're just adversarial in the sense of, I don't like that. You're struggling with seeing it through your lens and not his. And then, is there an area where you need to just honestly, lovingly, take this the right way? Get behind him. Just get behind him again. Get behind him and follow his lead. Follow his lead. He's the good shepherd. Amen? He knows his sheep. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. We're the ones that forget that. He never forgets that. And it's when we try to get ahead that he lovingly, you know those shepherds, crooks? Right? They're not just for show. They're like Christmas plays. What is a shepherd's crook used for? Yeah, one is for safety, right? It's it's bent, so if they if they start to wander, they pull them back. You know what it's also used for? Boop! Discipline. Somebody today might need a boop. <laughs> Lovingly, lovingly, like boop. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Right? It's all out of love. It's all our love. So, so if, if you profess 
Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord saves, the Christ, Messiah, anointed one. You know what? Trust him. Trust him. Yield your understanding to him. And then get back in your rightful place. Get back in your rightful place. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this passage more. Because we really want to understand even Christians. What is a Christian? I, I read a survey uh, from about three years ago. Where, and actually, the percentage of people who claim to be Christian in the United States has declined. But it was a 2014 sermon, I mean, survey. And they, at this point, they had 70% of Americans claim a general affiliation to be Christian. 70% of Americans claim to be Christian. Do they know what they mean? Do they really know what they mean? Right? Even the word Christian. Do you know what the word Christian means? Yeah, if you cheated, you looked in the notes, right? But um, follower of Christ. Here's, let me, let me give you a little. Christian is Christ with the suffix I-A-N. Right? That suffix means belonging to. Very similar to belonging to a political party. Right? So Christian is a follower or someone who belongs to Christ. The challenge is, if you look at what's happening in our culture right now, Christian has become much more about a cause and a political party than a person. Than a person. If you say you're a Christian, okay, let me, let's have a discussion here. Are you saying you follow the platform of some kind of party? Or are you a Christ follower? Radically different. Radically different. When you say you're a Christian, what do you mean? Do you belong to him? Are you a disciple? Is his teaching and his model your rule of life and conduct? Or is it just this Christian broad-based platform where you can sort of... Um, Agree with sort of general principles, but not really be committed to a person? We just went through this as a country politically, where it's very personality driven, and you saw the distinction. Some people were trying to adhere to a general platform, but they wanted to distance themselves from the person. That's what's happening in the church. The church wants to have this broad general principle but they forgot that it's really about Jesus. If we're Christians, we belong to Christ. We don't just follow some general platform. And that's kind of why the church has become what it's become really. Do you know what you mean when you say it? Right? Sixth grade. I grew up, good family, but sixth grade. We were allowed to have boyfriends and girlfriends, right? What do you know in sixth grade? Crazy, right? So sixth grade, I have a girlfriend. Back in the day when you have landlines, anyone? Landlines, right? Get off the phone. No one could get, you remember those days? Hey, oh, on the phone for two hours, right? I never forget this. Sixth grade, having this conversation with my first girlfriend, right? At the end of the conversation, she says, I love you. No clue what to do with that as a sixth grade dude, right? 
But what are you supposed to say? I love you too. Click. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever did. I love you too. Neither of us have a clue what that means, but we just said it because I think you're supposed to. Right? You're just supposed to. My heart for us, guys, is that as Christ followers, we know what we mean when we say it. We know what we mean when we say it. And if we don't know, I love Wednesdays and I love the environment here. You can ask. You can ask. And and we're going to look more as we move ahead next week. What's the disciple? Because the next few verses, Jesus makes it real clear what it means to follow him. Right? My heart for you. You know, I, I'm just in the journey with you guys. I'm just doing my best to be a follower of Jesus. And, and in God's grace, I can't figure out why I'm standing here. By God's grace, Apostle Paul says, I am what I am. And, and my heart for all of us is to know what we mean when we say it. Because if we know what we mean, then it's going to really directly impact how we live. So if you've been a little bit adversarial with Jesus, just confess it. Just confess it. Receive his forgiveness. If you've gotten ahead of him, just come back to follow him, the good shepherd. Because here's the great thing. The good shepherd says he came to give us life and life to the full. That's the joy of being one of his sheep. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for challenging us this morning through this passage in Mark where even Peter and the disciples who had been with Jesus daily for two, two and a half years, even they made this incredible profession and didn't really know that they didn't know what they were saying. Wow. And Jesus, you lovingly directly, directly rebuked Peter. You spoke truth. You said, Peter, 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 you're now my adversary because you're thinking about this through the lens of, of humanity, not through the lens of God. And, and Peter, you need to get behind. You're my disciple. You're just supposed to follow me. And so, Lord, this morning as we prepare for communion and have a time of reflection, are there areas in, in our life, honestly, where we become adversarial? Where we're leaning on our own understanding. We're leaning on what we know. We're leaning on our own opinion. And we're not yielded to your truth. Jesus, are there areas in our life where we as sheep have got ahead of the shepherd? And we need to come back and follow your lead. As we have this time of communion, I pray you speak to our hearts. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the one who was sent to save us from our sins, the Christ, Messiah, anointed one. Oh, Lord Jesus, you invite us into an incredible relationship with you. You invite us, the gospel says, 
that whoever believes on you shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet responded to Jesus the Christ, you've not put your faith in Him as your Savior, do so this morning. Believe that Jesus died for you, paid the penalty, rose from the dead. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So this morning, maybe the first step is to put your faith in Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ. And experience a new birth being born again into the family of God. Being a new creation in Christ. If that's your desire, you can put your faith in Jesus right now. Just express to Him the best way you know how. Just talk to Him. Jesus, the best way I know how, I'm putting my faith, I'm resting in your finished work at Calvary on the cross. And if that is your belief, your personal belief, your conviction, then by all means, join us for communion. What is communion? A remembrance of what Jesus did for us, His broken body and shed blood. You don't have to wait. It's the conviction of your heart that Jesus is the Christ. Participate in communion this morning. So we're going to distribute two cups, the trays with two cups, and just give you a time now of reflection and prayer with the Lord. Amen. As the band gets ready, I just want to encourage you. This week, I've had a wonderful opportunity, and and I just want to share with you a little, little bit of, of how the Lord ministered to me through through preparing for today. You know, He really was challenging me. You know, you've been in ministry for 25 years. Is it all about being a pastor or is it really being a follower? And and it was it was really a gut check for me all week. And the thing that really ministered to me, and I, maybe maybe this will help you, is is I sat down and I started in John, the Gospel of John, and I just started reading with fresh eyes, as if I'd never read it before. And the Lord really ministered to me and showed me who Jesus claimed to be very clearly. That's why it was written. John 20 says, this is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That, right? That's why John was written. And as I was reading through John, it became very clear. You have to make a decision here, Richie. Jesus claims to leave no wiggle room. He's either who he says he is or he's not. And it was so refreshing to me. I just want to encourage you to go back and say, yes. I believe this. I believe you, Jesus. I believe what you're saying. I believe who you are. And i got to tell you, I don't know about you, but sometimes the, the weight of the world just presses wrong, right? Everyone wants something. Everyone, you, know, you feel like, uh, 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 right? And to spend that time to read Scripture and to have this, yes, I believe that for me. Not a role, not any, not, not as a husband, not as a dad. I believe this was just liberating. There was a liberation that said, you know what? If this church grows to 5,000 or it shrinks to five, I believe this. 
You get what I'm saying? Sometimes I got to tell you, you just got to go back to what do you believe and why? Go back to Scripture for the answer. Go back to Scripture, and when you get that sense of empowerment because God gave you that ability to choose, oh, man, there's freedom in that. And so we sing this song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you? If you have, then let's sing this together. Let's stand together.